You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So Liz is going to share uh, tonight. I also will share tonight. I was going to say, we are and together. <laughs> so we're going to share something that we uh, we never really shared on before until this morning. And uh, everybody kind of just stared at us. And I wasn't really sure how it went. Well, they are supposed to stare at us. But then people said it went, yeah, but they were staring like <laughs> I didn't know what. And so I'm not, they were like at a coward at a new gate kind of thing. And so... Uh, but it's, um, I think it was really, really good. But, um, so basically what happened was that I told Liz last week, I said, we need to do some, some very, some softer kind of, um, very, like very pastoral kind of messages and, and encourage people. And then, and so we're going to do a few of those in a row. And then, but when we made this first four. one, she, well, three, cause Brian and Sue are going to be here. Oh, but anyways, yes, yes, yes. but so whenever, uh, Whenever we made this, she goes, "That's that's not very kind and fluffy. That's that's got some meat to it. So you just take it for what it is, and it's and it's going to be really really good. But seriously, um, this is really going to bless you. And and uh, every time we minister uh, this to each other, because really, I really believe in in preparing the messenger more than a message. And so we did prepare this message, but I really believe that you should that ministers should take things that are real to them." If it's not real to them, they shouldn't be ministering them. And so these are things that Liz and I have walked through. We've walked through this, this stuff with people, but we've walked through these things in our own life and had to identify like, hey, that's, that's a problem or that's how we're thinking here. And really what we're doing with this, we're going to do a series on this living victorious. I know that sounds really profound, but uh, who wants to live victorious? You know, amen. And it seems reasonable since the name of our church is Overcomers Church International that we should know how to live victorious. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And so the very first thing that the Lord really laid on our heart with this is, you know, if you're going to be um, the victor, you have to know how to not be a victim. And so a lot of people, they, I mean, and, and this is true for everybody, and it has looked different for different people and has different, you know, extremes to it, but everybody's been victimized. Everybody has had things done to them. A life has been done to them. And, and, and for the record, people have gone through some really, really difficult things. And, you know, we have tons of empathy and compassion for people that have gone through stuff. However, there's a difference between having been victimized by a circumstance and living as a victim. Because if you live as a victim, you have a victim mentality, or you could say you're in, you're in victimhood. And, uh, you know, if you're in the hood, it's a really dangerous place to be. Amen. And uh, so you could get killed there. I heard someone say that one time. Instead of saying get killed, they said get killed. I, that something I, it sounds better. Irish to me, a kilt. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so whatever. So you need to stay out of the hood. You need to stay out of victimhood. And so that's what we're going to share uh, about this evening. So, um, so really, and the deal is, is that, you know, God made us, and here's the, the scope of why this is so important, is that God made us, you just use a little common sense, God made us uh, to be um, just like him, because he made us in his likeness, and he made us in his image. And when he did that, 
And he made Adam and Eve that way in the garden. He's, he told them to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion and to rule. And so we are not meant to be subject to anything. We're not meant to be subject to anything or anyone except for God himself. And so we're, we're meant to be on top of the circumstances. We're meant to be uh, not a victim of anything. Now, that doesn't mean that you can control everything that happens in this life. There are some things you can control, but then there's some things that you can't control. And the things that you can't control or the things that have been done to you or the things that uh, have have been going on that are not what you want it to be, you have a choice whether you are going to live as a victim of that thing or whether you're going to become a victor and you're going to begin to walk the way that God intended for you to walk. Amen. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, and I'll just add to that that there are many many places um, and spaces where we can have come out of um, victimization and our thinking in one area or in two areas, but then in some other areas, we still carry a victim mindset or a victim mentality. And so I would say just as you are listening this evening to just keep your, your ears open and your heart open and just ask the Lord, Lord, is there any place that I am living under instead of over and just allow him to speak to your heart. Yeah, that's right. And you know, to live, to not live underneath of something has more to do with how you're dealing with the thing that is happening in your life. There are certain things that we should take the the word of God. We should take authority and we should deal with that thing. Amen. But then there are some, some things you, you can't, you can't do anything about it. It's just, it's just life. It's the, it's what you're going through at the moment. So how you deal with it really makes it as far as like internally and in your thinking and between you and the Lord, that makes a difference on whether you're a victor or a victim. And you just take Paul and Silas, for example, they were in a situation where all they were doing was loving people. They were preaching the gospel. Uh, they were doing what God told them to do. And here they end up getting, th- they get thrown in prison and you know, the way that they responded is the way that people are supposed to respond. I mean, they had in the natural, and to be honest with you, I, and I've told Liz this before, that I fear, I fear being in prison more than I fear death. I would quicker do something that would, um, if as long as it was the right thing to do, that would cause me to die than cause me to be in prison because I couldn't, I don't think I could handle being in prison knowing that my family is on the outside and I couldn't be with them. Like, I, that's one of the worst thoughts to me. And so here, Paul and Silas were in prison, and instead of going, I can't believe this happened to me, and here we are doing what you wanted us to do, God. Here we are doing your business, doing your bidding, talking about your kingdom, ministering to people, and then they whip us, and they beat us, and they leave us for dead, and they hate us, and they talk bad about us, and they stone us, and we deal with not having enough here, there, and everywhere, and now we get put in prison, because that would be the song that a lot of people would sing, but not them. They started praising God. And they begin to worship God. And I heard it put like this before, that God started tapping his foot. And God got excited about their praises. And then the prison doors opened up, amen, and things worked out well for them. But, you know, they didn't do that to get a response. They did it because it was the right way for them to be in the situation. That's what it looks like to be a victor. The fact that they got out of prison is not what made them victorious. It was the fact that they didn't allow the prison to affect them here and to affect them there that made them victorious. Hallelujah. And I just want to read this in John 17 here. And I I was reading John 17 and 
you know, this is Jesus praying to his father, and this is Jesus praying over the disciples. And I just found this so interesting. The Lord said that we are to be overcomers and that we are to be victorious because he knew if he if he went through things, we're going to go through things. But if he came out on top, then we also can come out on top. And it's just that mentality. So this is John 17, 13, and he, this is Jesus praying. But now I've come to you, and these things I speak in the in the world that they may have. Oh, no, 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 14. Okay, I have given them your word. Jesus is saying, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. So he wasn't saying, hear this. He wasn't saying, I'm going to pray that. I just, like a lot of times we're living for, like, just take me out of this world. If I could only go and get to heaven, it'll be fine. I won't have any more torment. I won't have any more fear. I won't have to deal with this anymore. And that wasn't actually the heart of God. The heart of God was that we would overcome in this world, that we would live heaven on earth in this world, that we would live victorious in this world. We would right. live the abundant life in this world. And I love this. He said, keep them, Father. I'm not praying that you take them out. I'm praying that you keep them. And then he told us how to be kept. We kept, are kept by the word of God because the word so of God changes everything for us. The word of God, it says this, is truth, period. The word of God is truth. And so if you will take the word of God and you will acknowledge the word of God and you will put it in your heart so that it can become true to you, it will change everything. Yeah, that's right. Come on. So good. That's so good. That's powerful. Um, you know, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about this other passage that, you know, in Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus says that anyone who gives up whatever in this life, they will receive back a hundredfold in this age the things that they have given up with persecutions. It would have been cool if Jesus would have left that off. Amen. But he said it because it's a reality. It's the, it's, it's the life that we live in. We, and, and, you know, the level of persecution that we're living in in America, there is persecution here. There, there is. But it's, it's on a very low level. Thank God for that. But there's all kinds of different persecutions. And no matter where you're at, you're always going to be persecuted. You could be persecuted for your faith. But just like life almost is like a persecution, just, just living life. And sometimes being in, in faith and trusting the Lord, you have a lot of opposition that comes against you. And so you can either look at that and be like, you know what? I'm believing God. I shouldn't have to deal with this kind of stuff. Wrong mentality. Natural, understandable, relatable, been there, but it's the wrong mentality. We should say, I'm believing God and I'm trusting God. And no matter how many times you get smacked in the face, 
No matter how many times things come against you, no matter what you have to deal with, you hang on to, God, I am going to receive back a hundredfold in this life, but I also understand that it is with persecutions. That's the reality of living in the life that we live in. So uh, what is a um, someone who's living as a victim or someone with a victim mentality? It's simply this. It's one who lives as a product of circumstances and remains bound by those circumstances. So it's someone who lives as a product of circumstances and remains bound by those circumstances. And so we've seen this many times. We all could find examples of this. Um, and if we'll, we'll dig deep, we could probably find some examples of this in our own to where the way we respond, the way we react to situations, sometimes the way that we pray to the Lord, sometimes the way that we treat other people is because we're still acting out of how we were treated in the past. We're still res- responding or reacting according to how things uh, were in the past and we've brought it into our present. We're still bound by circumstances that happened to us in the past. That in, in essence is being a, a victim. And again, if we want to be victorious, we have to come out of being a victim. And so, you know, someone who lives as a victim is somebody that lives a very limited life. Because if you're living bound by your circumstances, you're essentially living um, either bound by present problems or past problems. And if you're living underneath of them and you don't have the right mentality, you don't have God's perspective on it, then essentially you're saying, I'm never going to get any higher than this. And whenever people think that way, that's what they will have. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We have the, the, the results in our life based off the way that we believe. And we have, we believe based off of how we think. This is a true statement and it could be encouraging or discouraging. Don't be discouraged by this, but just understand you are right now a product of the way that you think. And if you go, you don't know how I was raised victim, you you're you're saying what? that how you were raised is greater than who God really is. Yeah. Yeah, and I was just going to say and you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what was done to me. That is a victim because that is saying I'm looking at my circumstances and they are going to limit me. They're limiting me. I don't have and what you were saying, you know, it's past and present like this is it's not going to get any better than this this is the best that it's going to get but god says that there that he he's so limitless that his ways are higher than our ways that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and if we have the mind of christ and if we were made in his image and his likeness then we can um work to capture his thoughts we can work to capture uh, what what is it that he is thinking about? What are his ways? And that can free us. The yeah. enemy wants us to stay bound. He yeah. wants us to live a lesser life because then we we essentially a partner with him. Yeah. We partner with him having his ways. Him um, getting things done like he gets to get get done. He doesn't want us to be free, victorious people because he knows it when we're free and when we're victorious, that we are a force to contend That's right. with. That's right. That when we all of a sudden get this idea that I don't have to be bound any longer, I don't have to be limited because of whatever that 
we start soaring and going high and we stop allowing him to be the influencer in our life. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then when we're free, guess what happens? We can free other people. That's right. Come on. And that's actually the biggest thing is that when we're capped, when we're limited, then nobody, then essentially there, there isn't, uh, Everybody else around us is that too. We don't have the influence like we should have. Yeah, that's exactly right. You can't bring people into something that you've, you're not in. And yourself, if you're not free, you can't bring other people into freedom. And so people that, that live under this victim mentality, um, they basically are powerless. They're powerless in their life, their mentality. They're not really powerless, especially if they've been born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost. They're not powerless, but they're operating powerless because the way that, they're, the way that they think and the way that they approach is like, life happens to me, and so I just can't do anything about it. And again, you have to, you have to use discernment in this because it is true that life happens. Life happens to everybody. But we've all, we've all seen this to where you'll have, you know, you can have, you know, uh, different kids raised in the same home. And it can be a horrible environment or it can be a great environment, whatever the situation is. And you'll have some that will excel and do incredible in their life. And then you'll have some that will stay limited to how they were raised, whether it be, you know, good or bad, vice versa, any which way you slice it. But, you know, you can have a really, really bad home and you have somebody come out and they just do incredible. And they just, you know, they prosper, they raise their kids well, they do all this kind of stuff. And then you have some that will stay um, you know, they'll stay bound to how it was that they were raised. And I'll use my, you know, my dad as an example. Uh, welcome back. You get used to it as an example every week. So it's better than one of my kids because they're always like, Dad, Dad, don't talk about me. So, but, um, you know, but, you know, how he was, uh, he was raised was horrible. He was raised in, uh, in a horrible environment. And, uh, and in fact, I think the week before he came back, I talked about some of the uh, whatever stuff um, that when you got born again and and you smoked a doobie, and then you didn't get, you know, this was like 40 years ago, or whatever, more than that's a long time ago, and he didn't get high from it, and then I was like, hey, can I share that? He's like, yeah, I'm like, well, that's good, because I already did. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, actually, he'd give me permission, but um, uh, anyway, so, but, you know, he just, he came up to, it, and was grown up in the life that he grew up in, and you know what's interesting, and it's crazy, the God of this world truly has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to the light of the glorious gospel, because and it was the same with my mom, except that her situation was different in her house. But they both they both came out of houses that were basically unbelieving homes. Mom's was more self-righteous. Dad's was more heathenistic. But they got born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost radically converted, and started pursuing the Lord. And spiritually speaking, their siblings were all left in the dust, and they just went, they just went for it. What happened? They stopped seeing themselves. Now, there was, a, there was a conversion. God changed them. But they stopped seeing themselves how they used to be, how they were, and they weren't bound by their past or their circumstances anymore. And so praise God for that. Amen. K- Katie and I are here as a product. See, just what Liz was saying is that it opens up the door for so many other people. When you don't stay bound by your past, you can bring other people into freedom. Mom and dad brought us into freedom and Katie and I are pursuing the things of God. This is my sister for anybody that doesn't know this is my wife. But anyways, uh, we're pursuing the things of God because of what our parents did. You taking the limits off God will cause other people to go to a whole nother level. Truly, my parents uh, ceiling was our floor. And I believe that our ceiling will be our kids' is for. Amen.
And I want to create the highest ceiling possible so that they can launch at the highest place and keep going further. That's right. Yeah, that's very good. So uh, another thing, a couple more things here about, you know, uh, people that live as a victim um, is that oftentimes their pain becomes their identity. Our pain should never be our identity. Christ should be our identity. But a lot of times the event becomes the thing that they focus on. And how you determine whether what somebody's identity is in is you just look at what their life is wrapped up in. What's their conversation like? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you hear what people say, you can find out what makes them tick. You can find out what they're really all about. And when they talk about their problems, they talk about their pains. I met a lady not long ago, and I asked her about her kids, and she went through all of her kids and told me all of her kids' ailments that I'm not even sure that they had, but she put all the kids' ailments, all these ailments on her kids. They had all of these problems and all this stuff. And I realized, okay, this, I, this lady's identity is not in the Word. It's not in Christ. It's on all of her kids having all of these ailments which is you shouldn't speak that stuff over your kids anyways. But it was just, you know, you could, you could see that. And so whenever you hear people talk, that's where you can find out where their identity is. Well, somebody who is a, who is a victim, like if, if a problem is, is in front of them and you say, hey, how, what are you going to do about this or how are you going to approach this? And if it's woe is me and I just don't ever think I'm going to get past it or they make a bunch of excuses, that's a victim mentality. Whereas someone who is really pressing into the Lord and they have their identity in Christ, they might say, you know what? I don't know. This is a pretty rotten situation, but God's awesome. And we're just going to keep pressing on anyone. That's, that's somebody that has a mentality to not be bound in identifying with their problem. And it doesn't mean that we don't have compassion and sympathy, but this is why God created people different. You come into a counseling session with Liz and I, Liz will be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be like, all right, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And you know, what, let's move forward. What Amen. You know, so, and you, we need justice and mercy need to flow together. One will love people out of their stuff. The other one will push people out of their stuff and we need both of it. Amen. So, but hallelujah. So we can't, re, can't remain a victim and we can't allow our pain to become our identity. Yeah. Everybody has gone through pain. Everybody has gone through stuff. Everybody has been victimized by circumstances or people or whatever the stuff, stuff of life. You can't make that be what your life is about. I've met people, and you know what? One of the saddest things, I'm going to tell you something that's real and raw. I've been with a lot of people on their deathbed, and one of the saddest things I see is when people are on their deathbed, and they talk about themselves, and they talk about either their accolades or their troubles, either one on their deathbed. Listen, when you get to your deathbed, you should be talking about Jesus. Now, some people, they, they're not in their faculties, and so there's tons of grace there that they don't, they're just saying stuff. But I've met a lot of people on their deathbed to where they've said things and they're being very clear minded. And it was all about what was going on in this life. And it wasn't really about the Lord. Their identity was in their pain or it was in just the things of life and not in the Lord. And we're not supposed to live that way. And, and I'll just say to that, too, a little bit is that it's, it's very earthly minded. Yeah. We're to be heavenly minded. We're to be pursuing the kingdom. And so kingdom is not about self. Kingdom is about the kingdom of God. It's about 
pursuing the Lord. It's about advancing the kingdom. It's about what we can do to propel people forward. Whereas being earthly minded keeps us stuck and bound here. And like circumstance do happen, but let them be an event not your lifetime. That's right. Not the place that we live from, not the place that everything from our life flows from this one event. And some events are drastic. Some events are catastrophic. Some, and there is time to mourn and there's right. time to um, just to reflect and go through, you know, the, the pain and the sorrow. But that's to only last for a moment yeah. and that you rise in the morning and you let the glory of the Lord be upon you and you get up and you move forward and you let that event become a testimony that you can use for the glory of God right. to on. say, I was here, but now I am here. If the Lord did it for me, he can do it for you. Let's go. That's Let's right. go. That's we have right. work to do. We have one life to live. When we are done, when we are done with our life, what is going to be said of us? Is it going to be said that you were so concerned and so consumed with the things that happened to you? Or that you were so concerned and consumed with the kingdom of God that you did whatever it is to show forth God's goodness and God's love and God's mercy to everybody around you? I don't know about you, but I want to be known that God was known through me, yeah. that I displayed the goodness of God, not so that I can get, you know, accolades, but so that he can be known, yeah. so that he can be known. Yeah. Hallelujah. Right. Hallelujah. Preach it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so as you were, you were talking, I, I was thinking about this. Um, this verse, you know, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. And there's an exchange there. And, you know, ashes are things, um, and the Lord showed me this one day, but when there's ashes, it means that something has come to a place that it's irreversible. When you take something and you burn it, it can't go back to its original state. Take a piece of wood, you know, whatever it is, set it on fire, and when it's burnt, and then eventually it turns to ashes, you can't go back and have a piece of wood. But see, when you take your ashes, which are the unchangeable things, and you bring them to the Lord, God is able to make something incredible out of it. But unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is that we will take our ashes, we'll take the, the bad stuff, the rotten stuff, the difficult stuff, and God cares about that, and we'll, we'll take it, and we'll, it's almost like we'll go right up to the altar, but we still continue hanging on to it. And we don't give it to him. Well, God can't do something with your ashes if you don't give it to him and allow him to do something with it. But if you will do that, he'll, he'll turn it into beauty. And there can be different reasons why people wouldn't let go. It could just be as simple as you just haven't learned how to trust the Lord. But let me tell you something else that's very raw and real with a lot of people as far as their ashes or as far as their circumstances or bad stuff is that people use it. Oh, Jesus, this is really the more I'm getting closer to saying it. The real is I, I realize how raw it is. People will take their stuff and they'll wear it as a badge. And it's often to get attention. And 
you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that when someone is, when someone's hurting, I talk about, you know, like mercy and justice. I really am very merciful with people, man. I will, I will really, really love people and help them and stuff. However, when I see somebody taking something and they're, they're using it as a way to get attention, I will just slap that stuff right off of them. Cause it's like, you know what? It's time to grow up. It is time to move on. It's time to get healed up. And it's time to allow the Lord to do something with your life. Otherwise, you're going to be here for another 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years. And then you're going to be in regret. And you're going to have another set of ashes, which is regret for what you did for the last 30 years, which was nothing except complain about what you didn't have or what you did have that wasn't good from the previous 20 years. And so now you got 50 years of garbage. And But if you're there, you can at least take that to the Lord and it's all a bunch of heap of ashes and it'll still turn into something beautiful. But let's do it today and let's not wait any longer. Uh, amen. Hallelujah. So, um, you know, here, here's what I, we're going to give you three realities of people that live um, as a uh, as a victim. These are realities or these are attributes of people that live this way. We're going to show you some things from the word here. And we're going to bust through this pretty quickly here. Uh, so n the first thing, these are three realities. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. This would be really good. Three realities, uh, very common realities or attributes of someone who lives with a victim mentality is the first thing they do is they, they are not, not necessarily the first thing they do, but one thing they do is they shift blame. They blame other people for things that they did wrong instead of just owning up to it and saying, yep, that was me. They say, oh no, it was that, that person over there. And I think that there's a lot of uh, reasoning behind why that can happen. If you go all the way back in the garden, which is where we're going to look right here, you know, Adam and Eve, they shifted blame. And I think the reason that they did is they, they, they couldn't handle the shame and the condemnation. The beautiful thing is, is that when you do something wrong, you can go to the Lord and he will never shame you and he will never condemn you. He is a God that is full of mercy. And we have the right to go to the very throne of, of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. He, there's no shame and condemnation with the Lord. Amen. And so you could just own up to something and be like, yep, I totally missed that. Totally blew that. I'm going to humble myself and own up to it. That's not what Adam and Eve did. Let's look here and see what it is that they did. Go up here to uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verses 11 through 13. So Genesis 3, 11 through 13. And it says, and he said, uh, so this was after they had sinned and, you know, they, they were hiding themselves. And so then the Lord said, uh, who told you that you were naked? By the way, it was... Basically, the devil that told them that they were naked and, and the shame and things that was associated with it. But uh, anyways, uh, and then he says, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And of course, God already knew, but he was just trying to get them to be, I think, to be honest. And then I think he was going to cover them within their honesty, because how does grace come to us? In humility, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I believe that the Lord was testing them here, asking them this question, but they failed miserably. It says, then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave uh, me of the tree and I ate. And so immediately you see them shifting that you see Adam shifting the blame. And, you know, I, I just kind of wonder where Adam was during this whole process, because as, as far as I can remember, he was created first, which is true. It's not just my memory. It's true. He was created first and then Adam and then Eve was created from him. Not from his front or from his back, from his side. Another message from another, for another time. But, um, you know, and so he was there and he knew the instructions. He knew them very, very well. What was he doing while Eve was eating the food? Yeah, probably. Maybe sneaking behind a bush or something like that. Not doing his job as a husband to say, whoa. Okay, so anyways, 
And then so the Lord addresses in the next verse, he, he addresses Eve, and he says, and the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? So now here, it was her turn. Grace was going to come to the, I, probably both of them if she had humbled herself. But no, 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 no. She shifted blame. The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, it's true that the serpent deceived her, and she did eat, but she should have said, I did this thing. I'm the one that did it. And so, you know, there, she, she shifted blame. And so this is somebody with a victim mentality that you'll often find that people will do is that they will shift blame. They can't take, they can't take that the ownership of their actions and own up and say, I did this. Well, if you can't own up to your actions, if your actions are wrong, how can you ever, how can you ever change them? I mean, if you don't own up to it, how can you ever make adjustments? If you just pretend like, you know, whatever, everything's okay, and, you know, life just, everything's all messed up in my life because the economy's bad, you know? Well, that's not a reason why you, you drink $7 Starbucks coffees every day, and you're in financial trouble, and it's not the economy's fault. It's because you drink too much Starbucks coffee. Sorry if that's close to anyone in here. If by all means, drink Star Actually, Starbucks, yeah, anyways, whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But what I'm saying is a lot of times we'll blame other things instead of being like, yeah, my checkbook is in the red because I drink too much coffee. Come on now. Or scooters or whatever it is that you drink a lot of, you know, amen. So, and it keeps you under when you cannot take ownership for something, then you remain underneath. And then you can never go forward. It makes you powerless yep. when we are called to be powerful people, not because us and ourselves are powerful, but because the powerful one lives on the inside of us and he has open arms and he has said, I am here. You just have to invite me in. And when we say come, he comes and he can deliver us from our distresses. Yeah, that's right. Hallelujah. That's right. Amen. But we have to, we have to uh, take ownership. We can't keep blaming everybody else. Do not allow the enemy to keep putting shame or condemnation on you saying yeah. that if you become responsible for your actions, then there is no mercy for you when that is not the truth. God has so much mercy and so much compassion, and he wants to come in and invade that space and make a way for That's you. Right. That's right. Come on. Amen. That's good. So um, the second thing here that we'll mention that people, and we've just got two more, that people do that are really common as far as having a victim mentality is that they avoid personal responsibility. responsibility. They just totally avoid it altogether. And we're going to give a, a, an example here on the word. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and talk about King David. So 2 Samuel chapter 11. And uh, I, lo I love, you know, when you, when you read the really bad parts of the Bible, it makes you feel good about yourself. Like when you, when you read Peter and you're like, what a knucklehead. I mean, Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And he's like, no, Lord, I love you. And then he went ahead and denied him anyways. And I'm like, if I were Peter, I wouldn't have done that. And it makes you feel good. And then when you look at David, it's like, this guy was a man after God's own heart, uh, I guess. But anyways, he did some really rotten stuff. And here's one of them. <laughs> okay. Anyways, it says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants. It's not a funny story at all. It's so bad. It's so horrific. And, and I, I said this earlier, that there's going to come a time in heaven, I'm certain, where David's going to go. Guys, 
please, can we please stop talking about that time? It was not good. We would all know it wasn't good. We've all learned the lessons from it. Can we please stop? So anyways, so it was the time uh, when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged uh, Rabah. But David, here's the key, is that David remained at Jerusalem. Why did David remain at Jerusalem? Because uh, he was avoiding his responsibility. David was a king. He was anointed king. He was called to be king. He was the king. And it was the time, it was the season for kings to go to battle, which I don't even fully know what that means. I just know that that's what the scripture says. And that's where he was supposed to be. And he wasn't there. He avoided responsibility. And this is just real common with people that when they live as a victim, they always avoid taking responsibility of things that, that belong to them. And we see this, and this is like a huge strain on the government. People don't want to take responsibility and work and do things like that. Uh, you know, this is a little history lesson for you, but you know that our country started as a socialist country before, um, during the, the, colonial, the colonial days. A lot of people don't know this. It started, they tried socialism, and it failed miserably. And the people were starving. And then finally they said, you know what? we got to do something different. And they, they instituted this. Imagine this. They instituted this. They said, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Imagine that. Taking the Apostle Paul's writings and implementing them. And you know what happened? Prosperity started to come into the land. Because people started taking personal responsibility for their own livelihood. And it caused, it caused things to work right. Nobody can be responsible for what we're supposed to be responsible for. I found this, and we found this, you know, over the years in, in pastoring. Um, and, of course, we're always very loving with people and stuff. But, you know, when we counsel with people, and when I was, when I was younger, I used to have this sense of, like, I have to do something to fix their problem. I have to do something to make this go away. And then I finally wisened up one day and realized I can't do anything to make their problem go away for them. All I can do is point them to the word, help them increase in their relationship with Jesus, do any, give them any practical wisdom, advice, whatever it would be. But I can't fix people and I can't do the work for them. They have to be responsible for the work. And everybody's responsible for their own relationship with the Lord. Amen. So we can't avoid responsibility. We can, but it doesn't end well. Let's look and see what happened here. We know, but let's just go ahead and read it anyways. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof. Now, this is talking about uh, Bathsheba, and if it were in today's time, she would have been called Shower Sheba. She was taking a bath, Bathsheba. We got it. We got it. Just if today funny. people take showers, it would be Shower Sheba. Okay. Anyways. Usually move goes about on, like that. And from the roof saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so as the story goes on, he committed adultery. She got pregnant, then murdered to cover it up. And so when you are not taking your own, this is, this is true, very true. When you don't take responsibility for your own life and your own actions and stuff, you have the higher potential of falling into deception. It's exactly what happened to David here. If you want to avoid being deceived by the deceiver, Take responsibility for things. Yeah. 
That's right. And when you aren't taking responsibility for your actions, you keep going down the wrong way. It says that David sent and inquired about Bathsheba. But if he were doing what it was that he was supposed to be doing out on the field battling, he wouldn't have been entangled in that mess and keep and then have like he then he entered into a place of striving where he was trying to make things better on his own. And so when we take responsibility and when we take that ownership, again, we become powerful people because we're saying that I can have a difference in my life. And it's not, like I said, it's not on our own. It's acknowledging the Lord in all of our ways and going forward with him. But we have to know that the Lord isn't going to just do things um, to us. He wants us to partner with him. There's a partnership. And so he's like, I'm waiting, I'm ready, but I need you to do what it is that you're supposed to do because this is a partnership here. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, The last thing here we're going to mention is that, you know, another uh, common reality or an attribute of people that live as a victim is that they they feel entitled, that they have an entitlement mentality. And we're going to go here and look in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to give an example of this in 1 Kings chapter 19. Verse one through four, and this is talking about Elijah. And just a little backstory here: Elijah went, and he had uh, killed all of the prophets of Baal. Uh, I think there was the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Ashtoreths. I think, and I think there were eight hundred and fifty total, if I remember, that he killed all of them. And you know, basically, what happened is there was there was a showdown <laughs> between the prophets of Baal and between Elijah. It was uh, all of these hundreds versus the one. And they, they made an altar, and they, they put a sacrifice on it, and they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, the prophets of Baal, for fire to come down and consume, and nothing happened. And Elijah steps up, has him pour water on it. From my understanding, uh, almost like there was a trench around it, filled the trench up with water, called fire down. The, the real God, the one and the only true God showed up, consumed the, uh, the sacrifice, consumed the water, consumed all the water on the ground. He licked it up. They went down. And they executed all of the prophets of Baal. And so then it picks up right here in verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 19. And it says, that, And Ahab told Jezebel, Ahab was a king, Jezebel was his nasty wife. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, speaking of the prophets that Elijah destroyed, by tomorrow about this time. Verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Didn't Didn't he just kill hundreds of prophets? And the Lord showed up in a major way, and now he's got this this one gnarly woman that sends a messenger saying, I'm going to kill you. And he runs for his life. And he went to Beersheba, probably to drink some brewskis, um, which was... <laughs> that was about that time in the evening. Not to drink. I mean to quit. I mean to wrap it up. <laughs> Bars open. Not really. No, it's, hor- it's horrible. Forgive me, Lord. Which belongs to Judah... So Beersheba belonged to Judah. There was no drinking there, okay? And left his servant 
there. Talk about avoiding responsibility. He left a servant there. Look at verse 4. But he himself, sorry, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. Uh, it's a very clean place. Uh, and he prayed. That he, <laughs> this is just coming to me. Hey, do you guys know who the shortest people in the Bible were? As I'm putting my hand on the list. Uh, the shoe heights. The shoe heights. Okay. Okay, help me, Jesus. And he said, so this is what he says. It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I mean, doesn't this seem a bit extreme for getting a message from a woman saying, I'm going to kill you? He already knew that Ahab and Jezebel didn't like him. He already, because they were worshiping Baal, they were in, they were in cahoots with these prophets of Baal, and he destroyed them. He went up against them. They already knew that, but she sends a message, and he runs away. Why? This is the reason why, as I believe, that Elijah had an entitlement mentality. He got to this point to where he was like, now, you can read between the lines a little bit, and you can see this differently if you want to, but I can relate to this because I've been there before. Well, I've never killed 850 prophets. <laughs> it's a good thing. Anyways, I've never done that. I've never called fire down from heaven. But I've done things for the Lord, and I've had um, persecution in the midst of it, and we've built things, and we've done things, and we've ministered, and we've gone places. And then we've had people come against us even after we've done all that. And there was a part of me, way more me than Liz, there was a part of me that stepped back and said, you know, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve for this to be, happen, to be happening. And then it can kind of go into self-pity to where you go, you know, I guess I'm just not really any good at what I'm doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have any problems. I guess I'm just not any better than any other preacher that's out there or any other pastor that, that's out there. Otherwise, I'd have this and this and this, and I wouldn't have all of these problems. What is that? It's an entitlement mentality. You think you get to this place, and you're not going to have any more problems in your life. You're not going to have to fight for anything anymore. You're not going to have to contend for anything anymore. I think Elijah just probably wasn't, he didn't stay small in his eyes. We got to stay small in our eyes to where we just, we just say, I'm willing to do whatever it is for you, Lord, and you don't owe me anything. God, you don't owe me a thing, and I will continue serving you for the rest of my life. And if I serve you and everything goes to craps, sorry, if things don't work out well, <laughs> Chris told me I could say it, so it's okay. I'm going to be in so much trouble by the time this is over. Drinking beer and telling women crap and all this Um if everything goes bad, focus. <laughs> focus. Uh, entitlement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, we can't have an entitlement mentality in thinking that God owes us anything. And if everything just totally goes to pot, which is where crap goes. <laughs> Uh, it shouldn't change what we're willing to do for the Lord because God doesn't owe us anything. He's already given us everything that we could ever need or want in Jesus. And we just have to keep our head about us and say, Lord, you know what? I mean, I don't like to use Job too much because it gets a lot, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens with Job. But, but look at Job. And Job didn't turn his back on God. 
And he could have had a mentality of like, you know what, God? Because I've met people and they're, they get mad at God when stuff happens. And honestly, God's not to blame because he's come to give his life and the enemy's come to destroy it. We need to separate out the difference between God and the devil. Come on now. But a lot of people will get mad and, and, and it's almost like they're throwing God the middle finger. I mean, I've met a lot of people like that. They're really upset with God and they feel like God owes them something. God doesn't owe you anything. You owe him kind of everything. But let me say this. Jesus already paid for it all. So you don't owe him in the sense that you have to give him something for him to bless you. But because he has so freely blessed us, we should give God everything. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.